Okay, friends, just want to welcome everybody in uh, online, and, and thanks for everybody coming out. I know the weather's a little crazy today, but the Lord blessed us for the wind to jump on in. And I'm really excited about today's message. We've got a good friend of ours coming in, uh, Mr. Gordon Hustle, to share his testimony. So with that being said, I'm going to pray for us and then have him come up and share his story. Okay? Uh, Father God, we thank you for the willingness of your, of your people. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities and the privilege to be called your children through a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, today, I, I just ask you to just reveal yourself to us, Lord, uh, through the testimony, through the message, and through the things that we share today. We just want to honor you. We want to give you praise, and we thank you for all you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. With that being said, I want to welcome my good friend, Mr. Gordon Hustle up. Come on up, my friend. All right. You got that thing turned on? We're ready to roll, but The red light's going. Oh, thank you, sir. It's all your stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Wow. Thank y'all for having me. I really appreciate it. So many friends and familiar faces here. This is going to be really easy to do uh, today. Let me just say first, before I go into the testimony uh, fully, that if there are people here, and I know, I know Bobby Willis is one, there are others, I'm sure, that have been in the military and probably have their own stories to tell. Um, let me thank you for your service. Let me thank you for being on that wall when, when my family needed you. And so thank you for that. And anyone who is listening, um, let me just say thank you to you as well. It's a, um, you know, it's, it's quite a, it's quite a, quite a bit of people uh, in this community that, that I owe an awful lot to. Again, they stood on that wall and protected me and my family and I appreciate it. Um, I am not going to share with you a lot of gory war stories because I don't think you want to hear them, number one. And, and uh, that's not what this is about. This is about how a book came into being. Uh, and to let you know that it wasn't me who was writing this book, rather God's hand on mine to write this book. It's amazing that when the book started, when the words first started, um, they went for a period of time and then they just stopped. They just stopped coming. And so that was the end of the book. When it was over, it was over. God had done what he wanted to do. And now I'm doing what I promised him I would do. And you'll, you'll find out as we move through this, through this, uh, uh, information that, you know, I hadn't always done the right thing. And he has shown me a new way to go. And it hadn't just started yesterday. This is, this is years. This is years. In fact, he took 43 years, uh, to get my attention and to make this book possible. So let me start in 1966. Um, right after I was married, we, many, many folks in this community got draft letters. Some of you here this morning may have gotten one. I don't know. But at any rate, I was one of those people who got the draft notice and uh, went to Richmond and hoping that I couldn't pass and I was running up and down the steps trying to get my blood pressure up and some people said if you put a bar of soap under your arm, that would make your blood pressure go up and they wouldn't take it. So I tried all of those things, but my blood pressure was fine when the, when the time came to take it. Came back home, went back to work. About 30 days later, Uncle Sam said, hey, we really don't need you. And at that time, I should have said, praise the Lord, but I didn't. I didn't. I said, this is, this is great. I don't have to go. So everyone who was in that group 
that got the draft notices the same time I did, believe it or not, went to Germany. Every single one of them. And I'm thankful today that that's where they went. I'm glad they weren't wrapped up in the Vietnam fiasco. Um, they all came home safely. Uh, some of them have, have, of course, left us now, but um, I was just one that was sitting here that didn't go with that group. So about 30 days later, Mrs. Tucker, some of you remember Alice Tucker, who signed the notices at the draft board that was located there on Water Street in, uh, in Yorktown. Uh, she sent me another notice. She said, you know what? We made a terrible mistake. And I thought, no, you didn't. I, I mean, this is, this is good. She, uh, said, we want to get, get you examined again. Uh, if I get a second shot at this thing, like I wanted it. Um, this time, pass the flying colors. No, no problems at all. Ten days, I want you here, I want you on the bus, and you're going to Fort Bragg, which is in North, North Carolina. I didn't think a lot of that. But you know what I didn't do that I should have done? I should have prayed about that. But I didn't know what that was all about when I was 19 years old. Uh, you know, I was married, I had a good job, my wife had a good job, and we were on top of the world, had a, had a brand new yellow car, the yellow Plymouth, it was the prettiest thing I've ever laid my eyes on, and, and 10 days after we had it, Joy ran in, in the back of somebody, and I was in the yellow car. <laughs> but anyway, we, uh, we were young married couple trying to, to make it, and some of you here this morning uh, got married just about the same time that we did, and I know, I know which one you are, by the way, so I know how old you are. Um, so, we, we did what the letter said. We, we, you know, we, we were there on time, we got on the bus on time, and we headed out to Fort Bragg. And when I got to Fort Bragg, uh, I didn't think it was going to be too bad, quite frankly. I, you know, I knew we were going to have to do a lot of running and, and those kinds of things. But I had never had anybody call me fatso before in my life. Uh, I went into basic training weight, weighing 184 pounds, which was pretty big for me at the time. And when I was coming off the bus, when I was coming off the bus, I, I thought I was going, I don't know, 45, 50 miles an hour. I thought I was running that fast until the drill sergeant uh, took his foot, and, and we don't need to know where he put it. Uh, and he said, Fatso, you're going to lose some of that weight, Fatso, and you better run a little faster than I see you running. He had a lot more to say about that, but this is not the time and the place to, to, to tell you about that. Anyway, let's, let's move quickly through basic training. Those of you who have been through basic training know what that's all about. You know, you run, you learn to shoot, uh, you get get it instilled in your mind, especially when they knew where every one of us was going. You have to get in your mind, you know, can I kill, can I Can I really do that? Uh, but it, it, it beat it into you. They beat it into you because they know you're going to need that uh, when you get to your destination. Out of Fort Bragg, into, uh, down, to, down south, uh, in South Carolina, Fort Jackson, there's where we went to, uh, what they called a jungle school there to, Teach you what plants you can eat should you get separated from your unit and don't eat shiny leaves, but you can eat, uh, non-shiny leaves. And I said, man, this is, this is, this is not good. You know, this is not good where they plan on sending me. Um, I actually called Joy that night and it's probably one of the first times in our whole marriage that I cried my eyes out. I mean, I just knew that the end was near. Um, no way in the world that I could survive in this, in this 
in this mess that the, that the government had put us in. So we, uh, we went through the jungle training and um, actually came home for a few days and shipped out to Vietnam. And, and uh, when I first got there, you know, I, I thought this was pretty cool. They, they had a helicopter that took us out and we landed on top of this mountain and the top of the mountain was cleared. Um, they even had a shower there, believe it or not. And these, these guys said, what, I, well, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? You go over there. Okay, well, I went over there, and there are um, man-made built bunkers with sandbags around them and machine guns sitting on top of those. And around this corner, they had a, uh, actually had a mess hall there where, where you eat. And they actually had showers. I said, man, I could do, I could do a year of this. I mean, you know, how long just got to be? I'm on top of a mountain, the enemy's down here somewhere, how, how, how can you lose? So I'm giving my orders to the sergeant there that was in charge, and I said, this is pretty good, sergeant, it's just, you know, I can make it fine up here. He said, the only thing wrong here, this is not your unit. I said, well, where is my unit? So we walked over to the edge of the, of the mountain there, and he said, see those guys? And I barely could see them. You see all those guys down there? That's, that's where you need to be. So by the time I got to them, I was knee-deep in mud. I started to see the jungle, and I started to see the canopy, and I started to see what I'm going to have to deal with for a whole year. And it wasn't pretty. Very first night, very first night I was there, somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, we're going on ambush. I said, well, where? I said, ambush. What is that? Well, what, what do you do? So you just follow him, and... You'll figure it out as we go along. And sure enough, uh, you know, I followed him and, and we got to a, to a, uh, kind of a desolate area. Um, I'm not going into the kind of weapons that we used, but we had a, a series of different kinds of weapons that we were going to use. And what that ambush was for was anybody came down that trail that night, didn't matter what it was. If it was a pig, if it was a man, if it's a woman, if it was a child, they never would have gotten through. They, they, they never would have, they would not have seen the light of day again for the pure firepower that we had in those 18 guys. You know, somebody told me, you'll learn how to kill. And it is not something I'm proud of. It's not something that I would ever brag about. Killing another individual is not an easy thing to do. And I'll live with that. I live with the, I live with the soldier, the one soldier that I remember who was North Vietnamese. Um, we came out of the jungle one day and, and there were four of them standing, looking across this, about this deep, uh, river. And they, how in the world they never heard us coming out of the jungle? I'll never tell you because they're not whispering with them. Standing tongue. They never saw us. But when they did turn, when they did see us, it was too late for them. And, you, and I just happened to be on point that day, meaning that I was at the front of the column. So it was my M16 that took their lives. Um, there was one that, that was able to crawl into a, into a hole. Uh, he, he couldn't get his whole body in there, but he was trying to save himself before he was trying to do But that didn't matter. That didn't matter. I, I, I keep telling myself he never would have made it. He never would have made it. He never would have made it. But I ended his life. And as we 
went through, which was customary, whatever information they may have on them, whatever maps they may have on them, anything that would be important to to our superior officers, uh, we we were supposed to we were supposed to get that stuff, confiscate that stuff. So I'm looking over his body, and and I reached over and I, I turned over his helmet, and I, I brought it up, and I, you, I I can't tell you the feeling that I had. In, in the top of his helmet was a picture of, without a doubt, the most beautiful Vietnamese lady I had ever seen in my life throughout my tour. Now, it was either his sister, could have been his wife, or some other close relative. And I asked myself, what in the world are we doing? We're, what in the world have I done? This person will never see that lady again. And it's all because of me and my M16. We got through that day, and again, I'll tell you, I wasn't, I wasn't proud of what had to happen that day, but it happened many times throughout my tour. Um, let's go fast forward to February of 1967. Some of the movies that are out now, and you've probably seen some, especially there's one that's concentrated on Vietnam. Some of you may, may have even been there. Um, but it's on two or three nights a week, and, and believe me, if you watch it, it is real. It is real. I was at the high school not long ago uh, talking to a, a bunch of seniors. Do you know they didn't even know what Vietnam was? Never heard of it. I said, well, let me tell you what it was. Because it's history. It actually happened. You know, people in this community, uh, all that's left is their name on a memorial at City Hall. But let me tell you about it. Um, they, they, they were flabbergasted. They were flabbergasted. They had never heard any stories, something, I don't even, I guess the history books don't record it, but I can tell you this, I'll record it, because I was there when it happened. Now, if you think that you're going to see me out here on this corner of Cedar and Pocosin Avenue, or maybe up at um, Victory and Little Florida, handing out tracts, okay, I'm not opposed to people that have to hand them all that they want to. But that's not what my mission is. That's not what God told me to do. And when I tell you in just a few minutes that I'm, that he was in my kitchen, and that's what I'm trying so hard to get to. I'm trying to kind of rush through all this other stuff because this, that's the meat of the, of the testimony. That's the meat of the book. And it has to be the meat of my life and how I live it now as opposed to how I lived it years ago. So, so, we're going to we're going to jump ahead uh, to that day, uh, February the twenty seventh, nineteen sixty eight. Uh, we were actually stationed. We were actually on station. <clears throat> excuse me. Many of you have heard or watched the story. Uh, saw the movie. I'm sorry. We were soldiers. Uh, it was a Colonel Hal. Forgot his last name. It doesn't matter. Uh, we were operating at a different time and a different year in a different valley than he was in. But the same Vietnamese regiment was there. 2nd North Vietnamese Regiment. I'll never forget as long as I live. And let me tell you this. 1,500, 1,500 estimated on top of a mountain, and I'm one of 75, 
We're going to go up there and kill everybody. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. We were, we were so outnumbered, such a foolish mission. Um, and then we gave up the mount anyway, but we had, we had two young men who, who had been with us about less than 30 days. One, uh, who I dedicate the book to is, uh, was, his first name was Art. Uh, Art had two little girls. He took twins actually. And he carried this eight by ten picture around with him all the time of, of his of his girls, and he was always talking about his girls. Uh, and they were beautiful. They were beautiful. Uh, and, and actually, since the exception of the book, I, I, I've met those people. Uh, and the reason I had to meet them was because the letter they got from the military about what happened could not have been further from the truth of what happened to them. So at any rate, we're moving up this trail, which we shouldn't have been on in the first place, but that's where we were. Uh, when I mentioned ambush, the first thing I ever did, well, this is what the uh, North Vietnamese had set up for us, an ambush. If you can picture a horseshoe like this, when I got here at this part of the horseshoe, I had never heard or seen since the amount of firepower that came down on on my unit. It was unbelievable. The first person, of course, you know, when you, when you, your mind is set on any noise that, that, that shouldn't be there. You, you, your hearing becomes very, very sensitive. And so at the, at, we heard the first shot. Uh, they say that you don't hear the one that hits you. I don't know about that. But what I do know is that on the first shot, everybody went on the ground. Mike, who was 19 years old, had been with us less than 30 days, um, turned to me, turned around, he was laying there, turned around as if to say, what do I do? You know, he didn't know what to do. And first miracle, I should have been there. That should have been where I was on that day because it was my turn to do it. So let's chalk one up over here for God. Not because Mike lost his life, because I should have been there. That should have been my job for that day. Mike turned around and looked at me as if to say, what do I do, what do I do now? And I heard that bullet, and I saw his face go ashen. One bullet, that fast, his life was ended. In front of him was Art, the one with the, the two little girls. Um, I said, Art, where in the world? I mean, the, the fire's coming from somewhere. Can you see it? Do you know where? He said, I think it's up this way. Well, this was up an embankment. I said, well, that's where we need to be. You know, that's where it is. That's where we need to be. So we both turned and started up the hill. Shortly, we hadn't crawled very far, um, and I realized Art wasn't crawling anymore. So I backed back down, and this, this man with two kids and a wife, uh, he was dead. He was dead. The, the bullet went right through his neck and, and hopefully it killed him instantly. If Art had not been there, and if Art had not been the size that he was, he was like a linebacker. And big guy, strong guy. But it was the only cover that I could find. There were no trees, there were no rocks. You know, only Art's body. And you can hear these bullets hitting around him. I don't recall hearing any hitting him, 
but they were they were all around him. So I backed down off of the off of the um, incline, and I started started out this way. My unit was back here. Uh, there were only three of us up there: Art, Mike, and myself. The rest of them were in a relatively safe area. So I began to I began to crawl. I, I've wished them many a time that. that 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 hadn't happened to us because I had to leave all my equipment there and, and there were some beautiful, beautiful pictures I would have liked to have brought back to show people, but that wasn't to be. I left it all there. I'm running out this trail as hard as I can go and the first bullet hit me and knocked me down, uh, lost my M16, um, finally found that, knowing full well that I was going to need that in just a few minutes. Um, but. But the pain was not there. I had no pain with the person, believe it or not. A little bit of blood, but not, not much. Nothing that I couldn't stand at that point in time. So I'm crawling again. Stand up to run. I couldn't have gone 10 feet when the second one hit me. Now that one, that hurt. I have to tell you, that one really hurt. Put me on the ground. Blood gushing from everywhere. And I said, I'm going to die right here on this trail. I'm going to bleed to death right here. If you've ever fainted or come close to fainting, that's the state that I was in at, at that point in time. Um, but again, I wouldn't have thought that it was God that was doing this stuff. But on down the road, it was him. It was him. There's no way in the world that anybody should have been able to crawl the distance that I crawled with blood pouring out everywhere. And still be alive. It just doesn't. It just doesn't happen. But I was able to get to my unit. I remember somebody scooping me up, and um, the rest of the guys were cutting a, a path for the medevac helicopter to come in and get me. They did. Those guys. Those guys. Bless their hearts. Um, they would come in under any condition. Didn't matter what it was. Their mission was to get the wounded out. And it didn't matter how many rounds they took or how much damage it was to the helicopter. They were going to get you in and they were going to get you out. And that's exactly what they did. They, they flew me to a, a field hospital and, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't talk, but I could think, I guess is the best way to, to say it. And as we landed or about to land, I'm looking up at the sky. I told a lot of people this. I've seen blue skies and I've seen uh, dark skies. I've never seen a purple sky ever, but it was purple. To me, it was purple. Now, I don't know what was going on in my head or my body, but that, that sky was was purple. They took me off the helicopter and they took me to a priest. I said, "Oh my, this isn't good." So I'm sitting over here with the Catholic priest, and, and he's got this thing around his neck and. Um, First thing he said, we want a cigarette? I said, uh, yes, sir, I want a cigarette. And all we got there were, were Lucky Stripes, the worst cigarette that you probably ever smoked. Nothing with a filter on it. Not, you know, Marlboros were not, uh, you couldn't get those. Whatever you got in your sea rations is what you got. So it was either Chesterfield, Camel, or Lucky Stripes. Um, just about the time he, he gave that to me, I just, I went out. I, I don't think I ever drew one breath through that cigarette. Thank the good Lord, the surgeons who were there were able to um, 
get my, my condition to the point that I could be uh, medevac to another hospital. Because this one was out in the jungle, and the poor doctors looked like that they had, they'd been working for months. They, you know, they had to shave, they hadn't been able to take showers. They were just steady trying to keep people alive. I woke up in a bed, believe it or not. I hadn't felt a bed in a long time. I'm telling you, that was, that was pretty cool. Um, I looked off to my right, and on, on my pillow was a, a, a Purple Heart ribbon. And I didn't know it at the time, but General Westmoreland, who was a commanding general at, at that time, had, had come into my room and pinned that on my pillowcase. Um, I wouldn't have been able to talk to him if, if I'd seen him, but um, he's kind of a general's general kind of guy. Um, you know, my improvement did start. Um, got better and got better and got better. And, um, between this time, I'm, I'm like from a field hospital to another field hospital, and now I'm in the Philippines. And I was there for about nine weeks just doing surgeries and trying to straighten out the things that weren't right anymore. Um, that's how I get in a wheelchair. That's how I get in a wheelchair. I can almost do it myself. I'm using somebody who's pushing me. When I came into that hospital, this is, this is how they, they, the levels of hospital. Fourth, fifth floor, you're absolutely going to die. Fourth floor, you might live. Third floor, probably getting better. So the way my the way my life was going, I ended up on fifth floor right off the bat. I have never heard such screaming, yelling of guys that were in such pain. Uh, it, it was unbelievable. You could hear them. You could hear them from any distance that you wanted to be. People that had been. Uh, I remember the one the one young guy who was standing beside a. Uh, a jet fuel tank when a rocket hit it and it blew up. Bless his heart. Yeah, he, didn't, he couldn't even tell us he was human being, let alone that it was, you know, one of my fellow soldiers. He died in about two days, and I think that's the first time I said, thank God. Because there's no way he could survive. And to survive under those conditions, I just can't imagine. Eventually, um, eventually I, I, I was about ready to leave the Philippines when I found out I had malaria. Two kinds of malaria. One is, and I'll, I'll never forget it, one is called Vivax and the other one is called Filciferin. And one of those two will kill you. You don't, you know, you just, your fever goes so high and it burns your brain. Well, I, I couldn't, I couldn't contract the one that just made you sick. I had to get the one that killed you. And so I lived for for a month with ice baths. And and uh, if you've never had an ice in an alcohol bath, man, that's cold. But it's what they had to do to keep my brain from burning up. Uh, got through that issue pretty well. I'm ready to go. So they take these blood tests. They take five blood tests. And one of those blood tests is going to tell whether you've got malaria or not. Well, uh, I don't know which one it was. But anyway, I had it again. So I'm quarantined in, in the Philippines for another eight weeks. Finally got by that, moved on to Army Triple, uh, uh, Triple Army Hospital in Hawaii. 
overlooking Pearl Harbor. Still there today. In fact, I've seen it since then. Keyboard uh, operations, uh, you know, I'm, I'm months are going by now, and I want to go home. I, I really do. I want to go home, and whatever you need to do for me, let's do it in the United States. So we started to the United States. Um, everybody on stretchers and these big giant airplanes, I don't, I don't know what they were, but the, the agony on that plane was just, was just awful. And these guys were still suffering and, and nurses were trying to you know, give them morphine or whatever or other kind of opioid they could find at the time. Um, even when the plane landed in Ohio for, I don't know, the fuel stop or exactly what it was for, but they took us off. And as they're carrying us off this plane into this building, off to my left, where well, it would have been my right, actually, on the stretcher. All these clowns, and that's what they were, they were clowns, throwing beer cans, throwing rocks, throwing bottles, but they had to throw it over a pretty high fence, but you can hear them. You know, baby killer, and you know, what are you doing there, and, and any insult that they could throw after they were doing it. But fortunately, the military had a fence high enough, they couldn't get anybody. Otherwise, I think they would. I think they would. Folks were out of control. Stayed there that night, got back on a plane the next day, flew to uh, DeWitt Army Hospital in, in uh, Virginia, uh, right outside of Washington. And uh, I spent about a year in that hospital before I got out of it. Uh, just just you know, one surgery after another, they didn't do this one right, or we should have done this and we didn't do it. But anything to keep me from coming to proposal was, was always jumping out in front of me. Um, all of those things finally passed. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty well now, and um, I'm ready to get out of the service. Uh, I've done enough. I'm, I'm done. I don't want to be here anymore. And I was medically retired. Um, some of the things that you tried to fix and couldn't fix, I still got them and I always had them. But thank God, I'm still here. Um, it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't my war. I should not have survived that. Just shouldn't have survived. You couldn't. And doctors don't even understand why I survived it. But now I know why I survived because I'm I'm here with you guys. So let's move forward several years. Uh, in my house, there's a there's a little bar like thing. In, in a bar, when I say bar, I'm talking about something that's in my house that you drink coffee on or eat off of. Not the other kind of bar. Um, so, Joy and I are sitting there one morning, and the dogs, I, everybody in here knows about that, Dorothy dog, and I think the count's up to nine now. Um, and some think we're crazy, but you know, that's her life, and she loves them, and um, I tell you, those, those dogs have it a lot better than I do. But, but, but anyway, um, we were sitting there and just, you know, drinking coffee and listening to the dogs yap. They did it every day, just part of the day. The room went silent. The dogs weren't barking. Joy was talking and I heard not one word she said. Now, I'm, I did not hear an audible voice. I didn't see a lightning bolt that came into my kitchen. I didn't see any of those things. But a lot of people have, have uh, experienced what I experienced, but they seem to all be different 
type of stories. And evidently, that's God showing up in the way He wants to show up, and not how I want Him to show up. I like this scene. I like going back with Him, quite frankly. But for for a brief few seconds, and I mean a brief few seconds, here's what He says. And this is verbatim. I've said a thousand times. I'm glad I could do it. Do you remember what you promised 43 years ago? And that was it. That was it. The dogs are barking. Fools up at me like a crazy patrol. And I said, you know what? I got to, I got to go upstairs. And I got, I went upstairs. I got a legal pad. And some of you in here, in here remember Miss Thelma Smith. Debbie, I know you remember. Barbara remembers the Jimmy Potter too. Um, she would have been proud of me. Um, because, you know, I, I, I'm not an author. I'll tell you that right now. No way in the world I could have written what's in that book and made it sound like it sounds. But Miss, uh, Miss Thelma Smith would have been proud of me until she figured out that I really didn't write it and somebody, somebody else did. Um, but what, what, what happened was it, it hit me that when I left the field in that helicopter in Vietnam on that medevac, I can remember saying to myself, and every one of you said this for different reasons, but you said this, God, you, you notice through all, through all this I'm telling you, I've mentioned his name one time. Now, I'm saying, God, if you get me out of this, then you know what the rest of it is because all of you said it. 43 years later, I still had not done anything that I said that I would do if I could get out of this situation. And so he had me. He had me. And I knew instantly what I'd said, what I'd promised, and also knew what I had not done. And so as, as we, as he kept feeding the words and moving the pencil, uh, they just kept coming, coming, coming. And when it stopped, it stopped. It was over. Book was done, was finished. Uh, everything about that book even fell into place. The cover of the book. The cover of the book, I went, I went to Earl DeShield to, to see about a cover of a book. And Earl had a, a stack of negatives this high. And on my way out, I bumped them. I didn't mean to bump them, but I bumped them. And these negatives just went across the floor. Think about, y'all seen it done, maybe not with negatives, but with something. And when the top one goes, everything just kind of fans out. Almost like a deck of cards. The very first one I picked up, the very first one I put in my hands, was the cover that's on the book today. Now tell me, tell me anything you want to, but don't tell me that that wasn't God starting a process, even helping with the book cover. Okay? We didn't, the book is not written for, to be a bestseller. That's, that's not what it's about. It's not about making money on the book. It's about what he told me to do. And I will, I'll promise you this. Any opportunity I get, and we do get a lot of opportunities to do it, I will tell that story over and over and over again. Because had it not been for God and a mission that I think he still has for me, I wouldn't be here today talking to you. So, not a bad story, 
Actually, it's a good story. It's a good story. And, and as I look back over it, and, and some of you in this room, um, I've got your signatures. Uh, buddy, <laughs> some of these people used to go to Tabernacle, by the way. And Tabernacle did a card, uh, a get well card for me, 159 signatures on it. And some of you in this room, the name's still on, I've got the card. Um, you know, came back in the United States, and God has just blessed me from, from then on. Uh, it just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. Um, I mean, there's, there's absolutely nothing in my life that, that I don't like at this point in time. I, I've got a whole new attitude because of that experience. And he planned that from day one. He planned it from day one. So if you don't, if you get in a hard spot, if you got a medical issue, whatever it might be, I'm telling you, there's someone that can fix that. There's someone that can fix that. And I can tell with the enthusiasm that's in this room, and I've noticed like this every Sunday, um, some of you have probably gotten that miracle. Um, and, and you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, where it came from. The day God showed up is most accurate. Because had he not, we wouldn't be talking this morning. He had a mission for me. It wasn't, wasn't a healthy mission. You know, it wasn't something that was easy to do. But it was my mission. And he had his hand on me every step of the way. And I'm proud to say he does today. I have, my health is, from, from those issues that I had back then, are not existent anymore. Uh, took a lot of years to get that way, but, they're not existing anymore. Who else can do that? Who else can do that? So I encourage you to, uh, if you haven't read the book, read it. Not, you know, if I thought about it, I, I didn't, buddy. I, I bought a bunch of them down there and you just take them home with you. And I'll probably still do that. Um, I want you to read the story. I want you to, I want you to read it from day one to the day close. Um, and, and you'll know and you'll see exactly how God planned this thing and even to the point that I'm standing here today, and I just hope I keep getting calls to come tell that story. Because um, I can tell you when he speaks to you, and he will. He did me. Um, again, I, I, you know, when, when everything is silent, everything is silent. And, and dogs are like this. I mean, they, the next thing they would have done this, they didn't even move. They didn't even move. And it was time for me to receive that message uh, from him. But the truth is, I had not done a lot for him. Oh, yeah, I, I grew up in Sunday school. I went to church. I did all of those things, but didn't need anything to at that time. Just, you know, just let me get out of here and get to Joy's grandmama's and eat that lunch and go over here and sit in the chair and go to sleep. That's pretty much what I did. Um, my life is different now. It's different now. Uh, I still make mistakes. I still mess up on a daily basis. Um, and you do too. But I'm comforted in knowing that there's someone there that I can, that I can talk to about, about what I messed up on. And, and it's forgiveness. I mean, that's as, that's as good as he is. So again, um, I think it's a great story. And my mission is to tell it, and I'm going to continue to tell it. Um, until, you know, my time to leave this earth. And, uh, 
I will never say again, you know, stop talking to me. I'm tired of hearing you. I, I can't do that. I can't do this. I can't do that. If he wanted me selling and putting out tracks out there, that may have been my mission. I wouldn't have liked it, but that might have been my mission. But that is not what I was, what I'm here for. I'm here to tell you the story I just told you, the best way I know how to tell it, and to let you know that, that, that this guy is so thankful to his Lord for what, what, what he did for me. And at the same time, when he did it for me, he did it for my family and my friends. And so I'm blessed. I'm so blessed. Uh, it, it's just unbelievable. So, buddy, thank you for the invitation. And, um, and you know, just, just nice to look around this room and see people that I've known for years and years and years. And, and just feels good here. So, anyway, thank you guys. I, I really do appreciate it. Thanks for your attention. Wow, what a amazing story. But you know what's so great about amazing story? It's about our amazing God. Amen? And, and I, I love that about Gordon and his family. They're always quick to give God the glory. So I won't I won't linger on here, but uh, I want to encourage you guys. We'll, we'll get some of those books and get them out to you. And I, I like what he said. It's always pointing it back to God, what, what God has done for him. And each one of us have a story. Now, it might not be uh, getting shot. It might not be any of, any of those things. But let me tell you, it doesn't mean that your story is any less important to God. And I praise God for the men and women that have served this country, amen, to give us the privilege to freely, to freely come to, to um, know God and share his message and things like that. So with that being said, I just want to hit a few things while, while he was talking and I, I've heard the story and I, I've, I've looked at the book and I, and I never get tired of hearing about what God does for the people that he loves and he loves you. One of my Bible verses that I think about so often, it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He poured out his blood so that we can have life. And you know, just like, like Gordon was saying, I think all of us have probably made that promise to God. Oh, I'll never drink again. I'll never speed again. I'll never do this again. You can just fill in the blank. And then we go on and we forget. And we move on. And we go about our business. But God is full of grace and God is full of mercy. And we don't measure up by what we give or what we do or how smart we are. The only way we measure up is through a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He leveled the playing field on that cross. And he gives each of us the privilege to come boldly to him. And so today, after hearing that story and thinking about inserting yourself in the story, and, and what I mean by that is there's a battle that we all have. There's a battle that we all have. You know, you see on the news, there's a lot of folks struggling with drugs. There's a lot of folks struggling with financial situations. There's a lot of folks struggling with, with health issues. But we serve a great God. We serve a loving God. We serve a forgiving God. We serve a God that does miracles. And we don't always understand his timing. We don't understand all the situations. But we can do this. We can come boldly to the throne of grace through a personal relationship with Christ, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, I, I don't understand how all that works, but let me help you with that. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means we all blown it. Can I get an amen there? I think we all understand that we missed the mark. And God is perfect and God is holy. And he cannot be around sin. So what he did so that he can bring us back into the family, he had his son 
pay the price. A life for a life. It's the great exchange. He exchanged his righteousness for your sin. What a deal, amen? You can't buy it. You can't earn it. That's what's grace. God's unearned, unmerited favor. God loves you because he loves you. And Jesus loved you so much that he came and was that sin sacrifice substitute. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He didn't sin, but the sins of the world was heaped on our Savior. So that when he died and on the third day he rose again, that we can come to the right relationship and come boldly to that throne of grace. That's the miracle. That's the deal. That's what God has done for you. But you know what? Just like many of us put it off and put it off and put it off and put it off. Don't put it off today. If you're listening right now, you're supposed to be listening right now. If you listen to this six months from now, you're still supposed to be listening to it then. God's timing is perfect. He's amazing. So as I'm speaking, my heart is just praying that you receive this message. And the message is this. God is good. And God loves you. And there's one way to heaven. John 14, 16 says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So hearing the message and softening your heart, I hope you hear the main message. It's all about Jesus, amen? It's all about God's timing. It's all about what he's done for each one of us. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and open your heart as we pray. And if you're here today and I ask this question, probably more questions than I ask any other thing in my life. If you die today, do you know for sure you go to heaven? A lot of people say, well, I hope so. I said, well, what are you counting on? They say, well, I'm a nice guy. I've done this. I treat people right. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that it's all about what Jesus Christ has done. And it's receiving, remember that great exchange, receiving his life and laying down your life, making him the Lord of your life, receiving the grace of God, receiving the forgiveness. How many people like forgiveness? Amen. We like forgiveness. I'm going to go one step further. How much forgiveness do we give to others? See, when God's touched your heart, it starts changing things. We can live our life. We can run our race. But I'm going to tell you what. It's going to just be our race. But when we start looking to the cross and we look into the Lord, we start running his race. And just like he said, each one has a different task. I would have never picked me for preaching. I would have never done any of those things like that. There's things that you guys do now. God, hone in on your skill set. Hone in on what he put in you. In the job that you have, you're touching people, helping people, speaking into people's lives. Never underestimate what God can do through a vessel that is willing to work for him. Amen. And the way we come in that relationship, just like it says in the Bible, it says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I love this. As it goes on in Romans 10, 13, he says, And whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Each one of us was a whosoever. So today, friends, I pray that you grab a hold of the message. I thank my friend coming in and sharing how God moved in his life. But God wants to show up in your life today. Grab hold of that. And everybody say, Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. I ask you to share this message. I'll pass it on. We pray for you each and every day. Thank you so much for giving us the privilege to come into your home. God bless you. Amen.
Amen. Let's get a little.